Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the Good morning, good afternoon, good something, good wherever, good whomever. This is Alan Averill. This is episode 73 of Agitators Anonymous. How are we all doing well now? It is one day after our first gig, our first return gig back in London. Um, And that's kind of, I suppose, the place to start, the place for the podcast to inhabit this time around. It makes the most sense, considering that's what I've spent an awful lot of time talking about for the last, um, however long it's been, the last few decades. So I suppose um, that is what this podcast will be about. How did we we prepare? What songs did we choose? How was the traveling? How were the restrictions? How was the crowd? All of these kind of things I'm going to mull over for the next while. Um, Firstly, I have to say that I would like to say that um, it would look like my dire predictions of um, Dublin being closed until next April seem to have been incorrect, or at least not not my predictions, but my contemplations, my analysis of um, the information at the time. There was a few tweets going round and a few leaked pieces of information. And in truth, of course, nothing has quite been lifted, lifted yet. Um, And of course, we've been told a litany of lies for the last however many months. So I will 
keep my ammunition dry, as they say, or before I make a judgment and all of those kind of things. But, um, you know, this might mean or might not mean something to you if you're living outside of Ireland. But it would seem that the sight of thousands of uh, sports fans on the streets drinking with none of the restrictions, rules, distancing, masks, blah, 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 singing, seemed to have been the straw that broke the um, cultural camels back in Ireland as there was no provision made at the time for this site, which we could all feast our eyes upon, um, at least around the corner from where I live. I was greeted with hundreds of cork um, fans in the street, if not thousands, um, and it just made a mockery of the entire concept that no one is allowed uh, to do the same thing for a gig, etc. Now, of course, there is a difference between, as I talked about in episode 71, having a gig outside or in a tent and or instead of being allowed inside. Those are, of course, two different things. But it seems that the optics of that scenario of... Um, 50,000 sports fans being allowed to mill around in the street sort of were something that they couldn't quite keep a lid on. And so the government here, it would appear, has laid some claim to all restrictions being lifted by October the 22nd. So I will um, hold my hand up and say that um, at the time when I got that information, at the time when it looked like that could be the scenario, and it did make sense that they would push through the autumn flu season, um, you know, kind of like take Christmas cautiously, the new year, and then shoot for the reopening of St. Patrick's Day, which I don't really think many people realise outside of Ireland, but this is a huge economic boon for the country. We usually have hundreds of thousands of tourists spilling into the country, bringing in a lot of money. And on some level, it did make sense that the government was going to shoot for shortly after that. Now, of course, things might still change. We we do know that the nature of this whole um, emergency is that things can change very quickly. But the mood in the country definitely seems to have changed a bit. And the rhetoric now is becoming like, look it, look it. We've got to change all this and give it up. And so October 22nd is the day where the government is stating that um, all these restrictions, well, at least um, a moderate, no, not not a moderate, let's just say. If the roadmap is to believe, to be believed, then yes, people can um, look at nightclubs and gigs and all that kind of thing. So if you're, not, if you're outside of Ireland, um, I think one thing that will be made abundantly clear to you is that every country is moving at different speeds right now. Um, which makes a mockery of the concept of a European Union, which we were, of course, being sold throughout our adult lives, that we all moved in dubstep together, which we clearly do not. Um, of course, quite a few people have messaged me asking me um, to discuss what's happening in Australia and New Zealand. I don't really, um, obviously, I don't live there. I'm not an authority on what's going on. I can only talk to the people of my friends down there who are telling me that um, the place has turned into a hysterically authoritarian, um, you know, just like literally having a manic episode of authoritarianism. And some of the some of the footage coming out of police just beating demonstrators in the streets. There was a story that had come out which, I mean, needs to be validated, but it would appear to suggest that um, the police are giving powers to, um, how can we say, not only open people's devices, but um, occupy their social media 
um, digitally, to have access to every single thing, um, uh, to make everything that you uh, are online openly transparent. And so therefore, transgression would seem to be uh, out of the question. Now, I don't know if this is true. Um, if it is true, it is one of the most dystopian steps that we've witnessed in the entire 18, 19, 20 months of this whole emergency. And it spells something very, very ominous that the state can literally just parachute themselves into your online world, especially an online world which you are being encouraged to inhabit solely all of the time, as this is the new gig economy, um, whatever your online work is. Um, the fact that, of course, look, you know, um, I don't completely buy all the, oh, were we ever free anyway arguments or the, oh, was, was going that way anyway. Seems like to me such a regressive argument and such an intellectually stunted, such a lazy argument to go, hey, look, we're going that way anyway. It's like, so what? Um, as if, you know, of course, that you should hand away everything just because something was taken away or that there's just no point talking about it anymore, Alan. Come on, can you not... Just live within the new boundaries and new rules and restrictions. I mean, but this is um, something else, something of the other. The idea that the state can literally just at the flick of a switch, flick of the switch, just occupy um, and take over your social media. Now, if somebody in Australia, New Zealand, maybe wants to get in contact with me, um, I'm sure there's somebody I could talk to in the podcast about it let me know how things are i mean i have a, like i said i have a bunch of friends who are moving between emotions and moving between opinions it just seems to me that that country the, the antipodes that australians in are caught in some sort of manic um moment and we seem to be lazily or uh, quietly with a certain amount of and uh, moving out of our um, I'm not going to call, I don't think Ireland had a manic moment, all things considered, but we would appear to be moving out of that. So I just thought I should address that off the top of the podcast because, um, you know, it's it's not um, the point of many of the things I'm saying, or not so the point of many of the things I'm saying, but the principle of the podcast is not for me to always kind of go, well, this is my opinion, I'm nailed to it, I'm... Uh, in, I'm enabled to uh, make a to admit when I maybe overstepped a mark, got something wrong. This is only human. I know people don't really like that anymore. They want everything that you possibly say to be the most accurate representa representation of everything at all times. But we can get things wrong. And if I was wrong about that and the state is open by October 22nd and gives me a chance to have a bumper Halloween, well then... Good for the state, I suppose, for finally realizing the error of their ways and realizing that people need a bit more spice in their lives or whatever you want to call it. So I should say that this podcast is sponsored by www.metalblade.com. Use the promo code ALAN in North America and you can get 10% off your order. Go for it. This podcast is also sponsored by Eisenwald Records. Go to www.eisenton.de and .com. Pagan, black metal, post-black metal, all sorts of stuff. Use the promo code ALAN and yeah, you can get free shipping. Yeah, go and take a look at those things. The descriptions will be in the link below.
Um, you can follow me on Instagram, Nemtiango underscore Primordial. Um, also, if any of you want to support the show, you can do it for as little as a dollar a month over on my Patreon. Um, I do two podcasts a month, um, which are um, different from the ones that are on Agitators. Uh, there's uh, We talk about books. We talk about there's sometimes rehearsals. There's video footage. Um, there's all sorts of things going on there. Some very interesting and insightful questions from everyone involved. Um, you can go over there and become a patron for well, little or little or nothing, less than a less than a cup of coffee, as is the common parlance or way to explain these things. Somehow, everything is measured against the worth of coffee, um, which must have been also true sometime over the last four or five hundred years. Or would that be tea? I don't know. I'm not much of a tea drinker. Yes, so therefore not a real Irishman, as everyone knows. Tea is an obsession of the Irish. I could say we inherited it from the English, but then I might get into some trouble. Who knows? That said, it seems like you don't get much. You don't get into much trouble talking about Irish politics anymore. Once upon a time, could have got you in some rather serious hot water. Well, anyway, what am I talking about? Episode 73, Agitators Anonymous. So, let's talk about the gig. And so... My list of um, talking points here, I'm going to go through them and sort of try and flesh out what it was like. Um, I will admit and will explain that I'm not a man who's um, privy to very much to nerves anymore. I don't really get anxious. I don't really, I get a kind of a feeling of, a, very much a kind of feeling of rising adrenaline and I get a bit, um, I get a bit restless i wouldn't call it anxiety just you're just waiting an awful lot of playing in a band is waiting it's waiting in hotel rooms it's waiting in vans it's waiting in airports and then the interminability of waiting to play so very much um the rest of the guys in the band don't get as wound up as me they could probably sleep till right about an hour before the gig not me i like to go down early i like to bed in i like to look at the merchandise. I like to uh, walk around and talk to the crew. Um, it may be, it may sound strange, I suppose, in an age of impersonality, but I like to walk around, introduce myself to every single person who's there, uh, from the security guards, people behind the bar, lighting sound engineers, stage people. I think it's very important that you shake someone's hand, well, in you know, <laughs> within um, limits of their will and want to do that under these current circumstances, look them in the eye and say, I'm Alan from Primordial. Uh, what's your name? What do you do? How, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it's not because I'm playing the game, um, because I just think it's a genuinely um, the right thing to do, that everybody's pulling together. Like I've often described playing a gig as dropping a pebble in, or a stone into the water and the ripples move out now that first dropping of the stone can be the writing of a riff the writing of a song which moves out but the ripples as it gets further and further from that initial impact um, are the things like the van driver coming to get it to get us who this weekend was a sterling chap who regaled us with many um many amazing stories um, and, you know, it's good to meet all the promoters and meet everyone. Um, and I think it leaves a good impression because you hear too many stories about rude musicians. Um, 
people who assume the um, stance of mini rock star when they haven't deserved it yet, if anyone really does deserve it. But you will often find that the most, um, some of the most famous people can very often be the most polite, not to place myself in that bracket. You understand, but I think it speaks to a common humanity which we've left behind over the last 20 months that it is very important to go and introduce yourself to each other. And also... Wouldn't my mother be upset with my impoliteness, you say? You probably would be right. So how did we prepare? Well, um, originally, before the uh, emergency, we had prepared a set or were preparing a set of 15 or so songs that were rarely played but um, in the canon of primordial musical history, whether it's Come the Flood, um, whether it's uh, Failure's Burden, etc., but after such a long gap, after such a long time off, we kept one or two or three of those. But we just thought, well, after such a long time off, um, let's go back to two thirds of the drawing board and let's take um, some of the, you know, the gods to the godless, the traitor's gate, the gallows hymns, the songs that we've been playing um, off the last for the last few years. Place that template and add two or three more. Um, we were a bit pushed for time with rehearsals. I mean, no matter what, how well you plan these things, life gets in the way when you have responsibilities, um, apparently. Um, I've heard about it. It's called work or a job or something like this. Um, the name and um, substance eludes me of that job, of the work or whatever you may say. And so, um, yeah, you, we... We picked a couple of different songs. Um, the rehearsing was good. It was important. The gig it was important in a way in that it brought us back together into a room. Um, and before you know it, then it feels like, you know, an old glove again as you're about to go back in the ring. But what I hear you ask is, how were the crowd? How were the restrictions? How were the rules? How were those kind of things? Now, I didn't ask were people um, asked to show their test. As I understood it, you had to have a proof of vaccination or a test or maybe a, a rapid antigen test before entering the venue. I'm not going to comment on the insistence of people working at the venue of whether those things are or are or are not going to happen um, or did or did not happen. That's not really the purpose of my commentary here. The idea, I think, is or at least the principle that comes across to me is that over the coming years, these rules and are going to be arbitrarily enforced. I think it's going to be very much left to venues. It's going to be very much left to the discretion of security guards, of people, of how much X person or Y person cares. Of course, we do live in a litigious society. There's no denying that. And do uh, does that mean that there has to be exacting track and trace? I'm not exactly sure. Um, certainly, I've seen... In my experience in Dublin for the last month or so, there are pubs that demand it, ask for it and scan codes, um, it would seem. And there are other pubs that just do not. Um, and I think that this is going to be how things are. I think over a course of a year or two, um, booking agents and bands are going to realise, oh, well, that venue is a pain in the ass. That venue isn't. That venue is a bit more relaxed. This venue isn't. And the venues that are not more relaxed are realistically going to get less of the work. They're going to get less of the medium bands. They're going to get less of those, um, you know, those um, gigs that help their 
gig economy tick over because people are going to go, well, they just insist on everything that is unreasonable. So therefore, we are going to avoid them. Now, how do agents and venues navigate this? Um, I'm not sure, um, especially not if the government is spying on all your correspondence. But um, how will that transaction work, um, I think, is yet to be uh, yet to be discovered. It's 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 a, a sort of black market conversation, isn't it? Um, are you going to allow this to run smoothly or are you not? I suppose this depends also coming back to what I just said on how your country's level of scrutiny, um, how strict your country is. I don't think you're going to get away with this in Australia, but I have a feeling you might get away with it in um, Greece or um, Croatia or well, you know, Ukraine or um, Belgium. Who knows? Just picking some names out of the hat there. Uh, don't be offended if I said your country isn't that strict. You should be happy, uh, fundamentally. Um, so I think it's going to be, it's going to rely on all of those different kind of things. What I did notice and did speaking to the promoters is that um, it would seem that every attendance is down about 25 to 45, 50%. There was about 500 people there. I think at our height, maybe we've pulled 800 people in London. Um, and I think, that, you know, there was a, a vague air of disappointment at the fact that the crowds were down. But when you think, when you think about it, when you put all those things into, um, into consideration, it makes sense. And I think it's been reflected everywhere in that um, the return of some live music hasn't been a washout by any means, it, but it's been a moderate success. It hasn't been the roaring 20s and it hasn't been... Um, you know, it hasn't been a triumphant return. Um, it's been a, well, you know, a quietly moderate success, which sort of makes sense if you're in England or Ireland, because that's kind of somehow what society is, I suppose, on some level, quietly moderate for the most part. Um, and what that means is that I think there was a certain hesitancy among people. A hesitancy to be among strangers again. I have to admit that the night before, down in the Dev, we played with our covers band. And it was my first time to actually be in a packed pub full of people. Um, hey, Alan, you want a shot? You want to do a shot? Talking to a stranger, shaking hands with people, um, actually having a conversation with people I didn't know from before. I realized that that was something I hadn't done since January or February 2020. I almost forgot the year. That says it's all. And talking to a stranger again was something that I hadn't done in almost 20 months. Now, when you think about it, that's an incredible thing. As a, as a, as a social human species, the idea that um, you can go throughout almost two years without really having a meaningful conversation with somebody you don't know, um, or even a daft, silly uh, and not very meaningful conversation with somebody you do not know or even a conversation with somebody of the opposite sex or whatever it is. The idea that that has been removed is obviously something I've talked about in podcasts before. But the idea um, that, oh, I'm here, I'm here, I'm th thrown into the mix. I felt personally uh, a great joy at that, a re great relief. It made me, um, it made me quite... Um, Happy on a very simplistic level, I suppose. Wow. Did I really say that? Was that a sentence I just said? Um, well, I was thrown there because the computer went into freeze mode. So I think my brain also went into freeze mode. Let me qualify that. Um, 
to see people enjoying themselves, smiles on people's faces, people who obviously hadn't meet, met up in months, who were actually there as well for the first time, socialising with other people. And then to watch people lose their shit while we played Venom and Slayer and Death and all these other covers, flinging themselves around. We ended up with some of the guys from um, Hellripper on stage to sing some Gigi Allen. There was Misfits was going down, all sorts of stuff was going down. To see broad grins on people's faces, um, drinks being delivered to the stage. The idea again that you were up on a, you know, you were up there sweating it out. Um, and again, the stress and pressure, of course, uh, in a small way of. Even just playing a few covers felt three, four, five times redoubled over than normal, where it would have been just, ah, just uh, get my bass up here, tune up. And I did feel the weight of like, oh, here you are doing what you're doing again. And I have to admit the last 20 minutes, I sort of ran out of steam and what would have should have been quite normal. I ran out of steam. The voice was like, ah, what are you doing, you middle-aged man? Get off this stage and stop sweating. But... It was great. It was um, a really worthwhile um, experience. It, and of course, it was typical of uh, my attitude to these things that I thought, I'll do two gigs in two days and bite off a bit of, bit more of the, um, you know, let's call it the weekend than I could probably chew. But um, at the same time, did it make me feel anxious? No, no, it didn't make me feel nervous to be around strangers. Not at all, not at all. Not even for a moment did I have a second thought about stepping into the pub. Um, I was just apprehensive about playing. Um, a bit anxious to get going, to play, um, to make sure I didn't make too many mistakes, to hold on to my voice, all of these kind of things. But as for being anxious to be around sweaty, stinking strangers, then no. I th I've, I've said it before in the podcast, um, we can't live our lives in fear or else, you know, we wouldn't cross the road, we wouldn't get out of bed we wouldn't leave our houses which some may say is the plan hey australia but um yeah there was no anxiety for me um there was an anxiety to be honest about losing or not losing my voice the next day because deciding to sing 28 covers and then sing again for uh, you know 90 minutes 100 minutes the next day um, can be a pretty heavy thing, but I tried to channel my inner Frank Brennan. I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with the Irish band Morning Beloveth. Um, arguably, in my opinion, my favourite Irish band ever, if not the greatest Irish band ever, or, well, maybe, maybe, um, possibly, as they say. Um, Frank Brennan, one of the greatest natural singers, uh, I will give him that accolade I have ever stood beside in my life or sat beside at the kitchen table um, and drank whiskey with him and listened to him sing, as many of you will know. Um, he just said to me, Avril, Avril, the biggest thing about you is you worry too much and worrying will make you lose your voice. Sorry, Frank, for doing your voice there. Um, <laughs> I do, I will owe you a drink the next time I see you. But, you know, he's he's right. The biggest thing that makes you lose your voice is worrying about losing your voice. Of course, it's also singing along to Back in Black at six in the morning on the tour bus, um, drinking straight whiskey and then having to wake up six hours later and do a sound check. That doesn't help also, which is something I do less and less of as I get older. You will be happy to know I was tucked up in my, my laba, which is Irish for bed, at about 2 a.m. after the gig on the Saturday. Um, they sourin, a bit more Irish there for you. Uh, don't screw at me if that was wrong. I just plucked that out of the ether, um, the Irish ether. Someone can have that as a name for a Celtic dance troupe if they wish. Um, and so his attitude was always, hey, you're worrying too much. And he'd just say, have a shot, 
have a Jägermeister, um, have a glass of wine, calm down, stop thinking about it. And he's right. Once you power through that first song, it's almost like an elastic band. Now, of course, you can pull that elastic band too far and it can break. But the reality is, if you trust in the fact that your voice is going to rebound, 95% of the time it will. Now, of course, there is the time when you've pushed it too far and your voice, instead of going, it just goes, Ugh, and just you realize, oh, I'm in trouble. But the more you worry, the more you're in trouble. And of course, the more that you drink and the more you carry on, the greater the hangover, the greater the blues, the more less you sleep, the shittier food you eat, all contribute to that feeling of impending doom, which is I'm going to lose my voice. I didn't, thankfully. I figured one line into the first song, I figured, ah, I have this. And so how was it to view the crowd, to see the relief on people's faces? I could see there was quite a lot of emotion in the room. Um, I myself probably got a little bit carried away with some of the stage banter, slagging off the crowd, asking them all, did they want to fight? Um, mocking a few English and Irish stereotypes in the process. But I think considering the circumstances of where we are or where we were after 20 months, I think a little bit of giddiness was allowed. And that's not a word you usually associate with me. Um, so I could sense there was, of course, a hesitance among the crowd. There's a hesitancy among some people who I think we've lost forever, who aren't going to come back to coming to see a show again. They are... Um, they're happy, well, let's not say they're happy, but they're going to be, they're, they prefer, they've grown accustomed now to, they'll watch the stream. They'll invite a few friends around, sit and have a few beers, play a few Xboxes, watch the stream, watch it on YouTube. They don't want to be in a sweaty, stinky room with other people. Um, again, that's not uh, what they want. And so I think we've lost a percentage of people. There's also a percentage of people who will never regain their social composure. Um, they've been pushed from the ledge and... Um, I think the state has to take some responsibility for um, ruining their ability to be human with other humans again. And I don't know how that is quantified or measured, but I think that is a percentage of people who will just never regain their social footing again. Um, and those people, I guess, were absent because there wasn't really anywhere to go. There wasn't really a... If you were anxious or you were feeling worried about um, what was um, what was or wasn't or you know the the I suppose the um, you're a bit worried about being inside a room of sweating breathing human beings um, there was nowhere to go there was no little safe um, space that was um, cordoned off or all of those things um, you were just in amongst the people I didn't see anybody in the crowd wearing masks and this was not mandated while we saw at Psycho Las Vegas people in a change of, um, well, we can see across America, it would seem that, um, you know, in the same week that uh, the Americans threw in the towel up, uh, in Afghanistan. Oh, and my Afghanistan pod podcast is coming. I'm preparing it. It's taking quite a while because uh, this is something I'm going to have to write down and put some proper study into and make some proper notes because I don't want to fuck it up and just speak off the cuff about something quite so serious with such historical resonance but I'm working on it you can expect that I think in the next podcast um, and it's look it's a fascinating and interesting country and you know America was just repeating the same mistakes that many people had before gone and done before them but you saw wow what a segue uh, no but you saw how they're you know the same week the administration in the USA decided to just yeah 
mandates, some new mask mandates. And so they just told people in Cycle Las Vegas, no, you all have to wear them inside now. Um, well, this was not London. Um, and like I said, as soon as you came out of Camden Town Tube Station, just I suppose that I just stood there for a minute with my guitar and my bags and just went, wow, look at this. Just um, all sorts of people around to see punks on the streets, to see, you know, guys wearing, you know, with huge hair, wearing capes and makeup on their way to some some sort of crazy party or other somewhere to see, um, you know, drag queens, to see um, a band playing, busking in the street, people standing around them, dancing. It was just like, oh, wow. Yeah, this was life. This was life before. Um, and it was really vibrant and really there was a lot of energy in the air. And it just sort of we looked at each other, the three guys from um, from the covers band, you know, me, Shawnee and Johnny just went, ah, oh, yeah, remember this. And it sort of gave me a great sense of calm. OK, it was annoying carrying a huge, big, heavy guitar with me, you know, which um, I've added wheels to the case in an active, in, in, incredible um, fort, uh, foresight and laziness at the same time. Um, but it was very, very um, gratifying. It was very, very human to see all these people out on the streets. So what would we call it? We would call it a um, not a triumphant return, not a washout, a um, you know a moderate a moderate success, not a middling success. Let's call it on a success rating, maybe a seven out of ten. Um, of course, the gig I think was better than that. Um, there was a few bumpy mistakes. There was a few times when I had to look at a sheet on the ground to remember what the first word of a song was, but. Um, by and large, we sounded pretty tight, pretty good, um, pretty together. There was lots of s grins and smiles between us for the evening. Um, and then it was really nice to come back into the, to go into the backstage and think to yourself, one of the things that always uh, is important to me from playing for a weekend or being away is that you come back and you have a sense of um, fulfillment, kind of like as if you've been sent behind enemy lines to do for a secret mission. That's the, how I tell my teenage version of myself. And you've come back and you've achieved that. And um, it is a really uh, rewarding feeling. Um, and this was, a, this was, again, was a rewarding feeling. The rewarding feeling of seeing um, people you haven't seen, um, of seeing people you haven't seen, um, hanging out with old friends in the backstage like you hadn't missed a beat, um, hanging out with the other bands, um, you know, the banter, the mocking, the slagging, you realise, oh, yeah, this is what we do. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Um, that was a great feeling of relief. Now, admittedly, the party that raged afterwards, I decided to opt out from. And um, having had two gigs in a weekend, which normally wouldn't really faze me that much, I felt like I'd been hit by a train uh, on Monday. Or at least maybe not a, a train train. Maybe like, you know, one of those small trains that wends its way around uh, a theme park that I just happened to be standing in the way of and it ran into the back of my legs and, you know, that that kind of level pain. Not full on, um, you know. Anyway, what am I talking about? Yeah, that's how I felt. Um, I felt quite middle-aged and it's hardly surprising really because you're doing a whole lot of movements, carrying, singing. Um, and, you know, it's, you're, you're using all of the muscles um, required to sing and all this kind of stuff, which you haven't used properly in ages. So, yeah, of course your chest hurts. It's either that you're having a, a stroke, one or the other. Um, so what would be my real takeaways from this weekend? Uh, rate my takeaway. Um, I, it would be that um, 
It would be that it felt like, um, like I said, putting on old gloves that you haven't put on again for a while and getting into the ring. It felt you weren't quite match fit or, you know, fight fit, but it felt like, um, yeah, this is what we do. It felt like a return to something. Now, does it make me feel more positive for the future? It remains to be seen. It really remains to be seen. Um, do we lurch back into um, forms of restriction? I mean, if anything, the last 20 months has told us is that it's possible. Anything is possible. Um, I guess we just have to wait and see country to country if they open up and allow people to do the same thing as they were allowed to do la in London last Saturday. Um, you know, it seems to me that um, the same event in Germany is not quite... Um, you need, uh, do you need an antigen test, a PCR test? Didn't they change from one to the other? There seems to be a constant chopping and changing of trying to deal with new rules and restrictions. Um, it shows that it can be done. It shows that people will show up. Of course, as I said, there is hesitancy. Um, and I don't blame anyone for hesitancy on any level, really, because, you know, people are... People have been inside their homes. They have been not been socializing. They've not been out doing the things they were used to and normally doing. And so these do have a, an impact on your conscience. They have an impact on your, well, not your conscience, but they have an impact on your levels of um, anxiety, I suppose, for some people. Because are the, on the day of the show, are they going to go? They're not going to go. And they won't have bought tickets in advance, which is another thing that's going to be, you know, a rather mundane thing, but a rather telling thing is people aren't think are going to buy less tickets in advance and show up on the day because um, they don't know what restrictions might have changed on that day. And so they're going to leave it till the day. And then on that day, they may feel I don't want to leave my house because they've been conditioned to that. So I think that um, the whole industry and scene is going to have to work on a slightly reduced capacity when it comes to expectation when it comes to finances, all of these kind of things. Um, I think that what bands used to be paid three, four or five years ago is going to have to come down to meet some new considerations. And that is, as I said, that there is going to be a sort of slow opening. It's not going to be... I'm, people have talked to me about the Roaring Twenties and all that kind of thing. The Roaring Twenties was only the Roaring Twenties for a minority of people. For the majority of people, it wasn't that roaring. Um, but my takeaway is that... Um, the whole scenario, the whole weekend was a success and it can be replicated um, throughout Europe. I don't see any reason why not. The only reasons why not will be to do with, I think, levels of authoritarianism or restriction or the unwillingness of um, agents of power state to let go of the reins and give people their social society back or their musical culture back. That will be, for me, the main reasons Um so these will differ from country to country. You can see, you know, Holland is doing things differently to Belgium and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, so should you be worried about and back in going back into going to gigs and entering the free? I would say no. I would say that throughout our lives we've had to conquer some kind of fears or other anxieties about one thing or the next. It's just something we have to do, and this is no different. And that life, you know. I mean, without all sounding like some sort of self-help manual, but life slips by a day at a time. And we've allowed to, you know, 20 months of it to slip by without engaging in these things with each other, the sense of musical communion, the sense of artistic and emotional communion that is involved in 
for example, playing a gig and we can't allow these things to simply die off because once a circuit is broken, um, maybe they are broken for good. So if it sounds like I'm a bit more positive, um, I suppose it is because I am a little bit more positive. Um, of course, it was like a pressure valve for me. It was like releasing some energy. It was like getting back to the thing that you um, know. And I suppose the thing that not only you know, but you are meant to do. That's how uh, you feel in that you are back on the place where you make the most sense, which is on that stage playing that music. And that um, hasn't changed. But... Does it assuage some of my negative fears? Yes and no. Yes and no. I would be the first to say that, yeah, I did come back feeling, um, you know, my friend Aaron from Crew Coalition, um, who should be on the podcast actually for an interview soon enough to discuss the music industry, said, you know, did, do you feel a bit more positive about the future? And I said, well, in terms of what we are, yeah, I do. And I, um, I'm i going to, you know, I'm going to uh, float along on that tiny little cloud for a little while longer um, but fully aware that at any moment restrictions and rules and all these kind of things can change and who knows what may happen but I just thought that episode 73 considering how much I've talked about live music and gigs and about return to the stage should just be a sort of a look at um, how it all went about you know a little a little um, dip into the atmosphere of the gig but I will say that it was great to see um joy on people's faces again the idea that you were people were singing along with the words and all that kind of thing yeah yeah i mean things we took for granted and that's if if that's one of the biggest takeaways of the last 20 months and we do return to some form of normality um if one of those things is that we begin to r fall in love again with all the things that we um that were taken from us or that were handed over and as they come back to us um then that will be a great thing. So my advice would be try and overcome your hesitancy and try and um, grab hold of the reins of being human again and go out, go to a gig. If you feel you want to stand in the crowd with a mask on, do it. Um, if that makes you somehow feel more comfortable, but still go and take part in it within um, real life, not just this other life that we have online. Okay, Agitators Anonymous, my friends, episode 73 was just a discussion about the gig, the great gig in the sky and how it went. Um, and so the next podcast, I think will be, there'll be a few interviews coming up. There'll be one, um, the one about the great podcast about Afghanistan. And maybe I got to start resurrecting all the ones I didn't finish that I promised I was going to do before. The Knights Templar, Alan Turing, all these kind of things um, and put a bit more, that's, what shall we call it, um, put my um, shoulder to the wheel a little bit more and study up on a few more interesting podcasts that aren't just random rambles. But I thought this one should be. All right, my friends, episode 73, Agitators Anonymous, over and out. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.